You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Do you believe God cares about politics? I mean, does, does God have a role for government? Does God have a purpose, a design for government um, in our country? And, and most people agree that he does. And so my question is, where do we talk about that? If we don't talk about that occasionally in the church, where do we talk about that? Last year, we had the privilege of taking a group of high school students from the Christian school down to Des Moines and met with Greg. And it was really the first time I really kind of got to hear him kind of talk about what he believed God's role for government um, in the country was. And I, I remember what he said. He said, God's design, God's purpose, God's role for um, the government is to reward virtue and to punish evil. And that was it. And I said, well, that's easy to understand. And, and it's true. Uh, that is God's design, his purpose, and his role for government is to reward virtue and to punish evil. What I love about Greg, one of the things that Greg does is Greg is someone who uh, goes and he is working with all politicians in in our state legislature, Republicans, Democrats. Uh, He he has no... um, you know, bias toward one or the other. He is there to serve and to be a a light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, what we do is uh, pastors uh, go down there on a daily basis now. Uh, They're in the state legislature. They're meeting legislators. They're praying with them. They're encouraging them on certain issues, bringing the gospel uh, in whatever way we can. And Greg is kind of there to coordinate all of that as part of the family leader. And so my goal in having Greg here is for you to kind of begin to hear not just his heart, but the heart of what the family leader is really trying to do uh, to bring the gospel uh, to politics. And so I've invited Greg uh, this morning to kind of come and, and again to share his heart and the vision of what God has called him to do in his role as the church ambassador there. So would you just join me uh, in welcoming Greg Baker and his wife, Ashley. Thanks, Jeff. And I got this guy here, sir. Here we go. I'll go up here, yeah. Well, I don't think I need to talk anymore. I think you took care of everything, Jeff. I'm just going to go ahead and go home. I'm just joking. Um, it's an honor to be here. It, it really is. I, I've been hearing incredible things about Praise Community Church, and I wanted to see it. I wanted to see it for a while, and I've been very encouraged by this time this morning. Um, I live in Des Moines. I grew up in a small town of Earlham, Iowa. About 1,200 people by Winterset. Have you guys heard of Winterset, birthplace of John Wayne, right? <laughs> but I moved to Des Moines almost 10 years ago now after I graduated from the University of Iowa. I did not know the Lord at that time. Came to know the Lord at the age of 23 at uh, Walnut Creek Community Church, non denominational church in Des Moines. We got five locations in the city. I go to the one downtown, like you all. We're in the, if you guys are familiar with Des Moines, we're in the East Village, uh, right by the Zombie Burger. We're the Zombie Burger Church. <laughs> but the way God's done with this church, the average age in it's probably 28, 29 years old. Um, most of the folks there five years ago didn't know the Lord. God's taken a generation the world says unreachable, and he's showing that it's reachable. 
and it hasn't been through awesome videos or good productions. It's been through just living out what they taught us in the book of Acts. That's it. What won me to the Lord was the love of the body that I saw and the message of the word of God. And what you guys are doing here in Mason City is the most important thing that you can do with your life. Not just for your nation, but for your Lord. Because the end of time, we discussed this. I go to church Saturday nights, and wife Ash and I do. So it's, it's a blessing because I can go on Sunday mornings without missing my services. But we just talked about, um, we're not taking anything with us last night. Nothing that's coming with us, including our American flag and our citizenship here. It's temporary. But what we do for the Lord, and more importantly, people, that is eternal. People is what matters. And uh, as much as we're, I'm from a millennial generation of instant gratification and Amazon Prime, and <laughs> God doesn't always work through instant gratification, does he, brothers and sisters? And we would love if we could just push a magic button and Mason City's reached. We wish we could just go to a little app on our iPhones and I'd push a little button and we're using my thumb and Des Moines reached. But it doesn't work that way. How it works is us getting messy in people's lives one by one by one, raising up disciples. That's how nations are reached, all nations. God's put us here for whatever reason at this time. He has his purposes for us being here. I'm in Des Moines for a purpose. You're in Mason City for a purpose. We're in the state of Iowa for a purpose in the nation of the United States of America. And God wants us to love our home here as temporary residents, but also remember that our citizenship here is temporary and we have an eternal home and we're ambassadors of a far higher kingdom. And our role is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ here at this time. He wants you to bring the gospel to the full culture of Mason City. And if you don't do it, who will? One of the things I think is a big shame. There's, um, so as Europe and America, we've played a large role in sending out missionaries the last few hundred years. And hundred years before that, people sent missionaries there as God's gospel spread. But if we're transparent here this morning, I, and I want to start in this dish before we work in government, because I, I think this is what we need to address. This is where the hope is. We've got to re-engage in the Great Commission in the Church of Jesus Christ in America, we've neglected our duty. And the culture's reflecting that. And we're to the point now where places we used to send missionaries to as God desires to reach all nations is sending missionaries to us. We have no excuse, brothers and sisters. The evangelical church in America is more than enough funded. The evangelical church in America has more than enough buildings, more than enough platforms. How in the world are we relying on Africa to send missionaries? It's unacceptable. If they want to be planning and expanding the church, they need to be going to the 1040 region. What are they doing coming here? There, I think we are entering a time that is going to call the church to action. And how we respond in this time is going to impact this greater culture. The millennial generation, generation I come from is a generation that has great 
skepticism towards all institutions, particularly the church. And part of that is I grew up in a moralistic church, as most Americans have, a church that has long forgotten the gospel. Once upon a time, that building was planted there, preaching a message of transformation. But somewhere along in its history became a messenger of rules that the people inside of them couldn't follow. And of course they couldn't. That's the teachings of Christianity, is it not? That we cannot follow God's laws. There's nothing inside of us that can obey. But we put our hope in these rules and these laws, but that the laws of Moses were not sufficient for the Israeli people. Let me tell you, anything that we make is not going to be sufficient. But that was the only church I knew. It's the only church most Americans know. So they've come to this idea that Christianity is a place where you do good. Culture's challenging that. Rightfully so. The University of Iowa, there's a group called Free Thinkers. They're atheists. Their goal is to outdo every Christian organization on campus in good works. And they do. They're now at the University of Northern Iowa and Iowa State and Drake University. There's a gentleman at the Capitol, I won't share his name, that shares a different faith, that has a more powerful transformation story than anyone I know. He was in prison, addicted to drugs, and has been redeemed, he says, by another God, and is now doing miraculous good works in the city of Des Moines. There's so much more to Christianity than what the world thinks. And what ultimately separates us, and this message can never be lost, is what's behind me right now, that cross. Without the cross, we're wasting our time. The cross is the only payment for sins. There's plenty of other ways to be a good person in this world that you don't have to go to church for. There's plenty of Kiwanis clubs that are doing good things in this city but they don't have the cross. And more importantly, the gift that comes to that cross, the Holy Spirit. Timothy Keller, I listened to his message before Christmas, and I was really struck by this. He says, people don't need help recognizing where they have problems. People don't need help making checklists. We're not that far from the New Year. How many Americans made New Year's resolutions? They don't need help with that. You know what they need help with? Doing it. That's what they need help with, is doing it. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do it. The Holy Spirit, that is it. But when we can, without the Spirit, we're left to compare ourselves to one another. And when we compare ourselves to a bunch of sinners, we're going to look righteous. But when we compare ourselves to the Almighty God's when we fall short. And that is why the most fundamental thing the church can do over all the stuff it does is preach what God did. 2,000 years ago. Christianity is not about what we do for God, it's about what God did. And that is what will ever, forever separate us. And we must take that to every avenue of the culture, including the government. But not the government alone. If your hope is in government, your hope's in a wasted institution. Like I said earlier, if Moses' laws weren't sufficient, anything that's passed in Des Moines and Washington, D.C. is not going to change the world. It has a purpose like Moses' laws had a purpose. But Moses long awaited for this day, did he not? 
Hebrews 11, it says they long waited for these times for the promises they didn't get to see. You and I get to see them. We live in the day of the Lord's favor. Let's live like it. Let's put our hope there. And let's bring it to all people. Kings to the lowest of the low. Because God says every life has value. Let's show them that they have value. Let's meet their deepest needs in a way that the world cannot meet. We've got to meet their spiritual needs. That's the power of the gospel. And at the Capitol, something I'm doing this year is I'm giving one of these to every legislator. There's a $3 gift law in the Iowa Capitol. I mean, you cannot give a law that exceeds, they can't give a gift that's above $3. Well, in 2018, there ain't a lot of valuable things that don't go above $3. I'm not going to hand out a bag of Skittles. That's just wasting my time. <laughs> so I said, God, give me, give me an idea. Give me an idea. Well, thanks to Amazon Prime, look what I got. <laughs> this is a cross made of olive wood carved in Jerusalem. And because it's from Jerusalem, I believe it has value. People, they hear that like, oh, wow, from Jerusalem. As much as the world's gotten smaller, things from foreign countries aren't as exciting anymore like they were 100 years ago. There's still power in that nation of Israel. And there's even more power when it comes from the city of David, where there's still a reverence even from the non-believer for the city of David. So for $1.99, I got 150 of these from the city of David. And I give it to our elected officials. Why? Two reasons. One, which is what we're going to get into next, is government's the institution of justice. There is no greater symbol of justice than the cross of Jesus Christ. When the church says government doesn't matter, it's telling God that justice doesn't matter, which means Jesus didn't have to die. That justice didn't matter. But it's more than a symbol of justice. It's a symbol of mercy. What's miraculous about God God is fully just and fully merciful, and neither of them compromise each other. His mercy never compromises his justice, his justice never compromises his mercy. Try to wrap that around in your human head. I can't do it, but he does every day. That's why Solomon, as a wise king, understood when he had to fill David's massive shoes, that's some big shoes to fill, God says, Solomon, because I loved your father David, I'll give you anything that you want. What did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. Why? So that I may govern this great people of yours. He knew that balance of justice and mercy was impossible without the wisdom of God. So I give him one of these to remind him of that balance. Number two, there's nothing else in the world that'll save you. Nothing else. You can pass as many budgets as you want, develop as many programs as you want. You can do whatever you want in here. But nothing in the world will save you or this people besides the cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing. You, O oh, king, are not that powerful and you're not that great. Empires come, empires go, and believe me, the United States of America will someday go. Who's Pharaoh? Who's the Tsar? Who's the king of Babylon? Who's Caesar? Caesar. It's gone. How many of you can name all the Caesars? 
how many of you can name a Caesar besides Julius Caesar? <laughs> Yet they're the most powerful men that lived from human standards. And this is a, but yet, this message is what we remember from the era of Caesar. Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, and a bunch of renegade apostles. <laughs> I remember I heard Andy Stanley, I don't know if you all ever listened to Andy Stanley, but I heard him speak at the Global Leadership Summit. He, he said, people name their children after Paul and Peter. They name their dog Caesar. <laughs> they name their dog Caesar. <laughs> But I think it's very important to have this perspective with government, that government can never be your hope. So we've talked about one ditch. But why does government matter? And that's where I want to go next. Let's go to Romans 13 together this morning, brothers and sisters. And this is New Testament. Often in the church, we get criticized for quoting the old, so we're going to start in the new, and then we'll work our way to the old, because the whole book matters. Verse 1, everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad do you want to be unafraid of your governing authority? Then do what is good, and you will have its approval. For the government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's from... Our brother in the Lord, Apostle Paul. Let's hear what our brother in the Lord, Apostle Peter, had to say about government. Keep in mind, this is under Nero, by the way. Verse 13. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him. For what? To punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. Brothers and sisters, let's take off our American hats this morning. And let's dive into what God says about government and his word. It is an institution of God's. He owns it. American, our consumeristic culture, and our blessing of a representative republic, we think we own it, the government, the people. But he owns it above them. And our elected officials are not servants for us, like we like to pridefully think so sometimes. How many times do you hear that all the time? Oh, my representative needs to do what the people want. He is elected or she is elected to serve me. Like I said, let's take our American hats off for a second. They are there to be servants for the Lord. And they answer to him, well before they answer to people. Meaning they must do what he says, not what we so wish. And government is not a worldly institution according to the scriptures. It's a heavenly one. It's God's. 
He instituted. Unlike business, business was instituted by man. God did not institute business, but he did institute government. Why? Because he's gracious and loving God. Think about this. After man fell in the garden, what would our fate be without government? God is a God of order, and in his graciousness, he still blesses us with order every day, though we don't deserve it. God is so gracious and merciful, we take it for granted. He says, I bring rain to the believer and the non-believer alike. And he brings government to the believer and the non-believer alike. The most scary form of government is not a tyrant, it's anarchy. Believe it or not, you are better off under Adolf Hitler and a Joseph Stalin than you are under anarchy. God gave us order in a fallen world. And government, though imperfect, as the church is imperfect, is made up of fallen people, is an institution that has never been a savior, but it has been a guide and it has been a protector throughout all of history. And it has taken many different forms. And God's form that he chose is a monarch. That's what he put in the nation of Israel, as a monarch. And throughout the scriptures, monarchy is the primary example that we have. That's what makes America so tricky. It's a little bit harder to find the direct comparison to our government in the Bible because Nero's just what you got. Nebuchadnezzar's what you got. There's no choice. Ahab was what you got. Here we get to choose. But needless to say, government's a protector. Its purpose is to punish evil, reward good. What does the law ultimately do? What's good and evil? God is light, and what's darkness? It's the absence of light. God is good, what is evil? It's the absence of good. Darkness and evil is the absence of God. Laws are not about simple right and wrong. Moralism will tell you that, and the vast majority of things that's what Christianity is about, but that's not what it's about. It's about life and death. Before Moses passed in Deuteronomy, he's leaving the law, and he says, I set before you life and prosperity or death and destruction. That was the law. Life. God's law leads to life and it protects you from death because God is gracious and God is merciful and he knew that we were fallen so he knew that our instincts were flawed, our sin nature would lead us astray, our hearts would lead us astray. So he said, here is my law to guide you. And every day that we seek to pursue, to follow his law, we are taking a step of faith that his law leads to life because our flesh tells us to go somewhere else. Every day we do that. Jesus says, he who wishes to follow me must deny himself. We are denying what seems natural to us and submitting under God. Not perfectly, but that is the part of the pursuit of holiness and sanctification for the believer. And the law is a protector for the believer and the non-believer. And when government does its job righteously, it protects people from death. It doesn't end death, but it puts speed bumps along the way. That's what the law is for. This will hurt you, so we're going to put as many speed bumps as possible for you to not get hurt. That's what government does. But when government is not unrighteous, when government does not have a parameter of good and evil, it will not know where to put its speed bumps. 
and he'll put speed bumps in the path to life and he'll smooth the road to death. Because God's the source of good and evil. So government, if the church pulls itself out, is left to look within itself to fulfill its God-given purpose. And the church is not there, and it's not the people of the church to give the church power. It's the word of God. This is what they need. It's what we need every day. We desperately need it. And they need it too. And when the church, or the word of God, pulls itself out, government will have to look within to answer the good and evil question. It'll listen to its heart. It'll listen to its flesh. And many ways seem right to a man, but in the end they lead to death. And the law fails to fulfill its purpose. This isn't unique to our nation. It's been a a burden for all nations. But God in his holiness has sent messengers from the Lord throughout history to the kings of the land saying, this is what's good. This is what's evil. The king will determine whether or not to listen to this messenger. And the people's lives are dependent on it though they don't realize it. Let's take a look at two pharaohs of Egypt, for example. The Pharaoh who listened to Joseph, was that not a blessing to the Egyptian people? And it wasn't just a blessing to the Egyptian people. Egypt was the principality, the center of power of the world at that time. Where did Jacob go to get food? He had to go to Egypt. Because the land he had had no food. Egypt blessed the world because Joseph was heard by Pharaoh. But then there's another Pharaoh. The Pharaoh that ruled during Moses. And he did not listen to Moses. And did the Egyptian people suffer for it? You better believe they did. And as historians have been studying the archaeological evidence, you won't hear this in your schools today, but you will find it if you search. As they study the archaeological evidence, there is enough evidence today to, to state that the fall of the second kingdom of Egypt correlates with the Exodus story. Pharaoh destroyed the Egyptian empire. He destroyed it because he didn't listen to Moses. There's also Nathan and David and Elijah and Ahab. Two very different endings. God has sent the shepherds from his institution of the church to government throughout history. And it should be no different today. The shepherd of the church is to come to the shepherd of government bringing the word of God. And throughout history, that shepherd has been a king. So, I believe this model applies to every single nation. The pastor is the pastor everywhere in the world. We just got to figure out who the king is. And Jordan is still actually a king. For actually the vast majority of the world, it's still a king. But the United States of America, there's still a king. He's just not as easy to see here. Because we took one person and we divided his powers amongst a bunch of people. The king was the chief executive. We gave that to a governor and a president. The king was a commander of the armies. We gave that to a president. 
The king was the final lawmaker. We gave that to a U.S. Congress and an Iowa legislator. The king was the supreme authority and justice. Paul appealed to whom? Caesar, because there was no higher court to go. That rested the United States Supreme Court and the Iowa Supreme Court. They're your king. The king was also a head of state. The head of state was the voice of the nation. They were the face. Remember, Jesus says, who images on that coin? Caesar's. Caesar's on the image of the coin as head of state. When God sent Jonah to Nineveh, and Jonah lovingly gave his message to the Ninevites, um, the king of Nineveh repents, and the people followed. That was in his authority as head of state that they followed. The head of state is an example it is what it means to be in America, what it means to be British, what it means to be Chinese, a standard that they want to rise to. We gave that power to the President of the United States alone and the Governor of Iowa and the heads of states of those places. And lastly, and this is one that's very unique to us, brothers and sisters, the final power of the king is the sovereign. Has anyone watched the Netflix TV show, The Crown? Has anyone watched that? Yes. There's a lot of talk about the sovereign in there. For most of the world, that still exists in a monarch, including our brothers and sisters of the North and Canada, United Kingdom, and a lot of other places, Holland, all over. The United States of America, the American founders took an incredible risk. And they were seen as stupid at the time. They gave it to the people. They gave it to the people. And in our pride, we like to think as Americans, wow, this neat form of government we formed here, no one else has tried throughout history. We somehow, in some miraculous knowledge of our own, invented the idea of a constitutional republic. And we're the first ones to succeed. Do you know why there's no other constitutional republics in the world? Because they always failed. They're typically the worst form of government there is. Why? Because they're dependent on the people. And if the people are wicked, the government will be wicked 100% of the time under Constitutional Republic. Rome started as one. It didn't end as one. And it wasn't in its peak while it was a republic. The republic caused a lot of problems. It wasn't a perfect republic, but they voted. Athens was a democracy. Sparta had a king. Though Athens was significantly richer, they had a hard time facing Sparta because they are constantly having votes by a bunch of wicked people. Republics throughout history failed, so much so that when the czars heard that America was trying this, every, every king in Europe thought this is going to fail. There's no way this will work. But then it worked. And a man named Alexis de Coqueville, a Frenchman, because the French were looking to turn to a constitutional republic, he came over to America to try to figure out how in the world is this thing working? How is this possible? It's never worked in history. He went to government, checked out New York City. He couldn't see it. Berlin, London, so much more impressive. Paris, wasn't there. Then he went to the halls of government. Wasn't mesmerized, not that fancy. He's like, where is it? Wasn't until Sunday morning. Alexis de Tocqueville stepped in American church, and he says, I have never seen pulpits more on fire in the United States of America. The church has been and always will be in a constitutional republic the protector and the defender of the sovereign. 
Because it's the church and the transformation, it's not the transformation within that church from Jesus Christ that has allowed a republic to survive in this nation. And if the church ceases to have its platform, if the church ceases to preach the gospel, a constitutional republic will no longer be sufficient for this land, and we are getting close. Why are people frustrated with D.C.? The problem isn't D.C., it's in the people, it's in the cities. George Washington and John Adams, men from different political parties, both said this same statement. This nation that we have created was made for a moral, religious people, and it's inadequate to any other. Because they understood, because they studied history, that republics fail under a wicked people. And that is why throughout history there's been hereditary monarchies, because every now and then Manasseh has a Josiah as a grandson. Every now and then you just get lucky and you're like, holy cow, how did that come out of that family lineage? But it did. (laughs) And that's why monarchies have typically worked. They're not beautiful. They're not great. They're actually quite horrible. But every now and then you get a Josiah and there's a good 40 years. And that is the consequences of the sin nature of this world. But this republic's worked. And it's been a blessing because of God's church. The gospel was veiled the least amount here of any place in the world. The United States, one place it was a frontier is religious liberty. Other countries allowed Jesus to be discussed. Even eventually the Caesars allowed Jesus to be discussed, but on their terms. On their terms. Caesar began to centralize the church. Why? Because he wanted to control it. And if you study the history of Christian nations... There's always been a control from the government. Even in the United Kingdom to this date, the queen is the head of their church. And the church will speak as the king allows. This nation didn't do that. This separation of church and state that's almost become a swear word in the church of Jesus Christ is the reason why the church of Jesus Christ is here. We just don't understand what it is anymore. Separation of church and state meant the United States government will never form its own religion. There will never be a church of America. We will allow the gospel to go out in as many different theologies as we want, and we should embrace, even when there's false teachers out there, that there is a land that allows them even to speak. Because throughout history, the false teacher was in charge, and they're the only message that's permitted. And that is why the American Republic worked, because the church was allowed to thrive more than any other place. And throughout history, its government has been a blessing. Not perfectly, but it has been a blessing. Even the church played a gigantic role in ending slavery in this nation for once and for all. Put an end to it. It was in the Methodist church. The Methodist church. Every Sunday, they would preach about the abolition of slavery to the sovereign of the nation, and the sovereign responded. It took time, but the sovereign responded as transformation happened again and again and again throughout the nation. A revival erupted where President Lincoln himself 35 times called America to repentance, and the 13th Amendment and the 14th Amendment and the 15th Amendment all got done in five years. A radical transformation that would not have occurred on that battlefield. It was the the depression of the battlefield that allowed the gospel to shine. If there was no gospel, we would not have survived that. President Lincoln understood that. That's why 35 times he called us repentance. And if the church ceases to take its role in government, this government will fall. I can promise you that. And there will be a king because we'll have to have one. 
and you'll actually want it because a constitutional republic is one of the most gruesome forms of government when it does not have a righteous sovereign. Republics kill more people than kings ever do when there's no sovereign because it becomes a rule of masses. And it's wonderful when you're 50% plus one, but when you're the minority, it's a nightmare. Ask our African-American brothers and sisters what happens when you're the minority. And that is the fate of republics without a righteous sovereign. Our role here in this church is so big. It is so big in America. So many reasons to be for the church. But one thing that unique that makes us separate from our brothers and sisters in the world is our responsibility to the sovereign. It's crucial. So, in closing, if you want to serve your nation, build God's church. You want to serve your nation, you want to change laws, engage in the Great Commission and raise up disciples. You would never change my opinion of the University of Iowa facts with me. I needed a spiritual transformation. I didn't believe hardly anything that I believe right now. Quite frankly, things I believe right now, I would have hated me. I would have thought I was a disgrace and what was wrong with the nation. Old Greg would hate this Greg. But I have been transformed and bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. And he has transformed me. And he's the one that's always been in the power to transform a nation. He transformed Rome. He even got a hold of Caesar's heart himself. He got a hold of Nebuchadnezzar's heart. And he can do it here too. He can do it here too. But the church must engage in the Great Commission. That is something we must never forget. And government is nothing more than a slice of that pie. Just a slice of that pie. And you guys are doing a good job here. You are. You're engaging the city one life at a time. And that is the greatest thing we can do. And we can stand before our Lord someday and say, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. I finished the race. Regardless of what that result is, Elijah and Nathan both could praise the Lord on that day. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to join here at Praise Community Church, Lord. I thank you for them. I thank you for this city, God. Lord, I pray that you give a heart for this city to each of the people in this room, Lord, that their heart would break when they think of the pain here, Lord, and that they desire to go out and proclaim your gospel. We pray for revival in Mason City, Iowa, Lord, that Praise Community Church can play a role in that, God. We pray the people in here would participate and actively raise up disciples in this time, God. And we pray that we'd watch a miraculous thing, Lord, as we see lives transformed by you. Help us to be willing vessels that will just follow you no matter where you want us to go. We pray this in the only name we can pray this in, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, Greg. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.